Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello there, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Mike Williams here, and uh, hope everyone had a fantastic Memorial Day break. It is Tuesday after the Monday holiday. Uh, first, quickly, and again, these are not investment recommendations ever, uh, but I do want to give you a snapshot. Members already know this, but our latest portfolio comps, uh, by the way, all the portfolios are listed in complete transparency in your members area. At the end of each week, I always give a update on the Barbell Economy Dividend Portfolio and the Barbell Economy Equity Growth Portfolio. Longtime listeners will know that the barbell economy is what we're trying to help people understand exists today. Baby boom on one end, Gen Y on the other end. You can ignore almost everything else because massive, massive changes are ahead and all for the good uh, if you're paying attention. So what we do is we compare those results with the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And through Memorial Day weekend, the S&P 500 was up 2.7% for the year 2016. The NASDAQ was down still by 1.48%, primarily because of uh, tech and biotech being hammered, given the political uh, insights, shall we say, being shared on the airwaves that will likely dissipate over the next few months. And I suspect the NASDAQ will catch back up to be its growth-oriented self. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.57%. Of course, you'd never know that given how negative and bearish the crowd is. You'll remember we spent some time on sentiment right before the holiday break, and the sentiment stinks, which, by the way, is fantastic. Oh, the barbell economy portfolios compared to that, uh, well, remember, S&P is up 2.7%. The Dow is up 2.5. Our barbell economy dividend portfolio is 7.3% on the year. The barbell economy growth portfolio is 6.07% on the year. So each of those have a nice little cushion above the markets. And by the way, if you ever have questions, confidential review, any kind of consultation, happy to cover that with you. Feel free to give us a buzz at 877-457-7744 and you are welcome to include your advisor in that call. We will be happy to share information with you and them. So let's get right to today's note. I'm going to call this sooner than expected. You know, as long-term investors, one of the core elements we need to be aware of are those periods when sentiment becomes overwhelmingly one-sided, and that can be bullish or bearish. As we enter the summer of 2016, we do indeed have one of those circumstances. We've covered the same in recent podcasts, but the weight of the evidence requires a little more in-depth data to back it up. While the market activity begins its summer downshift, let's take a quick look at the economic data this morning to kick off the week and then we'll dig a little deeper into the sentiment of the crowd by the way the sentiment hints at significant value surprises ahead like i said in the last forecast or podcast 
Let's pray for a summer swoon. Stats. Let's check some stats out. While the pall over the crowd feels more like an impending storm, the data continue to be rather positive. Oddly enough, this has not caused much of a shift in the overall dire outlooks parroted by most of the current talking head experts. Consumer spending on durable goods rose 2.3% in April, while spending on non-durable goods increased 1.4%. Oddly, both of those points exceeded the expectations of all those really smart economists out there. Uh, Listen to this. A higher level of spending on automobiles was anticipated, and we got it. A category, though, to keep an eye on is home furnishings and home repair, because the data out recently suggests that millennials, the Generation Y kids we keep telling you about, are finally starting to go get their own house. And by the way, this is the first out of the first inning. It's a long game, oddly enough. If you ask me right now at the first out of the first inning, I'd tell you to expect a multi-inning overtime game as a good analogy. Personal incomes also rose. They were up four-tenths of a percent month over month. Consumer spending was up 1% versus a seven-tenths of a percent expectation. Home prices rose a pretty big amount, actually, nine-tenths of a percent month over month, and they're up almost 6% year over year. These issues continue a relatively lengthy string of pretty positive data since the disappointing Q1 GDP release was made a few weeks ago, itself already revised upward last week, as we covered in your most recent podcast. The U.S. economy did expand. The upward revision reflected stronger inventory investment and a swing in import growth from positive to negative. A generation-Y cylinder of growth is beginning to enter the picture as the latest readout witnessed the strongest increase in residential development in almost 10 years. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. As Q1 was coming to a close, I suggested in your podcast, and I'm going to quote, the market structure and thin trade range, along with the constant outlook for the impending feeling of recession, is beginning to look a lot more like 1994 and 1995 every single day. Shortly, we'll be entering our 20th month of what is now officially the thinnest two-year rolling trade range in the history of the market. Long-timers have often heard the phrase, quote, don't short a boring market. The very significant power building under the economic haze has been mostly overlooked or pushed to the side as unimportant. But rest assured, our global lead above all developed countries in the world and emerging economies in the demographic makeup of our population is not only vital to understand, but it will prove to be the key element which keeps us miles ahead in the competitive race of growth leadership. Do you want to know the really fascinating part about that thinnest trade range 
of the last two years. In other words, what that says is I'm looking at a chart. I'm going to have to explain it to you. Uh, if you look at the trade range, the high and low of where the market has been for two years straight, it's about a 9% trade range. Okay? This is what's fascinating. The last time we had a record, which, by the way, was just below, just above 9%. This is now the thinnest of all time. But do you want to know the last time we had something even remotely close to this thin? 1994, 1995. We spent two years going nowhere back then. Everybody thought a recession was coming. Do you know what happened after 1995? The stock market doubled in the next four years. It caught up with itself. How unique is the circumstances we are looking at? Everywhere you look, it's unique. Here we are. Think about it. We are on the verge of new highs. A few percent here and there doesn't kill anybody long term. We have record low readings of bearishness and record, excuse me, record low readings of bullish sentiment, which is, which is contrary views positive. These are the lowest numbers we've seen on record. Okay, now I want you to I want you to realize that that's lower than 03 when the bear market ended in tech, thousands of points lower than here, and lower than at the economic collapse in 08 and 09. After that two-year frenzy, let that sink in. In other words, there are fewer people believing in our future and investing in the stock market than there were at both of those periods of time. My concern, look, I'm not trying to remain, oh, I'm, I'm trying to remain aware of the rose-colored glasses risk. I get that a lot. Oh, Mike, you just think everything's positive. No, I don't. I don't. I've been bearish a lot, often, especially when everybody else was bullish. But no matter how we slice this data up, we are witnessing rare inflection points. The one can never be admittedly certain of the future. The stage has been set based on past occurrences for significant surprises to the upside when these elements have come together previously. My concern is that the surprise to the upside breaks out sooner than expected. I'd like to see it get one more summer swoon, but I'm not so sure we're going to get one. There's an old saying in investing, you always have more of what you don't want and not enough of what you do want. That means you can never make it perfect, okay? So don't try to. This data is coming together in such a way that many are likely to find that they have far too much focus on hedging against downside and are heavily lacking on the real risk that the breakout is to the upside. By the way, to further cap all that off, equity mutual funds have now seen outflows, i.e. people selling them more than they're buying them, in 17 of the last 21 weeks. The thinnest trade range I noted previously in this podcast, the thinnest trade range in two years, is indeed having the desired effect. Short-term fears are turning into the age-old error in thinking, and I'm going to give this quote for you because I've heard it thousands of times. You're probably going to chuckle because you may indeed have thought it yourself. Quote, I will stand on the sidelines until the future is more clear. Unquote. 
Think about that for a second. We are empowering ourselves to be soothsayers when we indeed say, I will stand on the sidelines until the future is more clear. I will tell you what I've told everybody I've ever worked with and not worked with since I started in this business. Guess what? The future is never clear. Ever. It is your perception of the future that causes you to feel good or bad. Think about those things, okay? Note, we can look at this 12 ways to Sunday. And the fact is, is since I began in 1982, I do not recall a period quite like this. So much angst, fear, and trepidation waiting under the surface for that next shoe to drop while almost all of the data is far more supportive for continued growth. Remember, guys, in 08 and 09, in, in 2009, our GDP was $14.5 trillion. If I had to hazard a guess by the end of this year, it's going to be $18.5 trillion. It's already over 18. Grow another six months, we'll be close to 18 and a half. We have to understand the media process is designed to get your attention. Back in the 80s, it was designed to give you information. But with thousands and thousands and thousands of places now looking to give you information and their very business life depends on the fact that they get your attention, trust me, they will not get your attention by saying, guys, everything is going to be fantastic. No, they won't get your attention saying that. What they will get your attention with is all of the dire consequences that await us. So remember that the next time your heart skips a beat when you read a very large headline. So what's the Summer Hayes playbook? Remember, sooner than expected is the theme of the day. And as much as I'd love to see a summer swoon, we might not get one. And if we do, let's be ready to hunt. First, one should stay close to the barbell economy portfolios in your members area. As you can see from the weekly summaries that we give you each week, they continue to provide a nice cushion over the market indices. Second, let's hope for a series of weaker economic data points. Why do I say weaker? Well, because look, in the summertime, they'll be terrified. <laughs> if we can get a few months of weak stuff, that would be really helpful in getting a summer swoon. Let's hope for the triggers of that fresh summer swoon. As covered last year in the Summer Haze preparation video series we did for you, the more likely low points for summer sell-offs are in August because that's the fewest number of people watching. By the time August rolls around, the fourth string guys are on the trade desks in New York and all over the world, and everybody else is at the beach. Like most summers, at least the 34 that I've witnessed in the industry, expect volume to wither and chop to inherently intensify as spreads shift. It'll be worse than watching paint dry. The next 90 days, though, are likely to provide some pretty positive opportunities for the patient and long-term focused investors. 
Surely the political campaigns will add much to the media cycle as July and August unfold. Last for now, we must remain focused on the underlying data which is pushing certain predictable sectors of our economy forward. Given the lopsided sentiment that we've already covered, the thin trade ranges that are setting records, and the continued equity revulsion, one must provide for the idea in their planning that surprise strength may be coming out of left field. I learned from one of the great investors on the street. He taught me that time shifts one's perspective of risk. If you have to have your money in six months, you shouldn't be invested anywhere. But if you have 20 or 30 years, what's the risk of today? Look at history. If you could go back in time at any point on the cycle, 20 or 30 years, you'd be an investor. You'd bet the ranch on the United States. Our generational trends that are in place today that have created the barbell economy, are they, they, they mark decades of time ahead. The people who will form, demand, and shape growth for our economy for the next five decades are already born. As Peter Drucker once said, quote, the future has already happened, unquote. We need to stand back far enough from the noise to see the main driver of all economic activity. Take away everything else, and the main driver of all business, all demand, all production, all growth, all new ideas is crystal clear. It's people. And I repeat, our present and rare barbell economy shows our best days are ahead in a much bigger way than we can currently understand. So listen to this again if you need to, but I hope the thoughts are helpful. Until we see you again on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.